Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hey, everyone, and before we get underway with the show today, just want to remind you to check out all our great programs that we have. We have our runninghotcoaching.com uh, where you can find out all about our online run tra- training system where you get video analysis, your customized, personalized plan made specifically for you, and ongoing support and help and education around everything running. So check that out at runninghotcoaching.com. We also have our flagship epigenetics program, which is all about optimizing your genetics and making the best out of them and how to do that and understanding what your genes are all about and how to get the right food, the right exercise, the right timings for everything, understanding every aspect of your life, your place, your career, your social environment, all of these things, your predispositions and much more. So check that out. Go to lisatamati.com and hit the work with us button and you'll see our peak epigenetics program right there. Also a reminder, check out the longevity and anti-aging supplement that I am uh, now importing into New Zealand and Australia in conjunction with Dr. Alina Seranova, a molecular biologist uh, who is behind this product. Now, this is all about uh, the sirtuin genes, basically, which are all your longevity genes. Now, NMN is a precursor to something called NAD, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And this is an absolutely compound uh, essential compound for every in every single molecule of every every or every single cell I should say of your body and it's very important in regards to ATP production into regards to metabolic health in regards to autophagy in regards to sirtuin genes and upregulating those make sure you check out the episodes that I did with Dr. Alina Seranova uh, and head on over to uh, nmnbio.nz if you want to find more about the science of that and why I am super excited about this product this longevity and anti aging product NMN. Right now, today I have something very, very different. I've turned the tables on myself and I have a a very dear friend interviewing me um, about our book that we wrote together. Um, Kushla Young, she's a, 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 got a master's in English and she is the person who helped me uh, rescue my book when I had it in a hell of a mess, <laughs> basically. So I hope you are going to enjoy this uh, interview. This is all about my mum's story. It's about mindset. It's about going up against all the odds. It's about going against the establishment. It's a, it's a, There's a lot of things we cover in this interview. So you're also going to hear from my very special mummy. She's going to come to word and tell us a little bit before she heads off on her coffee date. So now over to the show with Kushla Young and Isabel. Well, hi everybody. Welcome to Pushing the Limits. Today I am doing something very unusual and to hi to everybody in YouTube land who's listening to this as well. Um, I want to introduce uh, my best friend, Kushla Young. Kushla, welcome to the show Thank for starters. <laughs> now, I'm, um, now, Kushla, uh, to give you guys a bit of background, um, Kushla and I have been friends for, oh, I don't know, a decade or so, and yeah. Kushla is the lady that helped me write this book. Without her, it would not exist. <laughs> it was a complete <laughs> muck-up before Kushla came along. The book is Relentless, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds. That's uh, my latest book, and Kushla is the magic behind that book. So um, what we're going to be doing today and uh, is um, talking about what the book is about, which is the story of bringing my mum back from a massive aneurysm, major brain damage at the age of 74, 
before um, when it was against all the odds, when the medical professionals were telling me the brain damage is so bad that she's never going to recover. And being an athlete, I went, no, that's not happening and we'll find a way. Um, and this is going to be all about that story. Now, I'm going to hand over to the reins to Kushner to actually interview me, but I've actually got a very, very <laughs> special guest sitting here next to me <laughs> who is the actual star of the show. And so Kushner is going to, she's got to take off for a coffee date. So uh, <laughs> I'll have to let her come to word first. Um, so I'm going to pass you over to my very special mummy. There she is, Isabel. And she's going to uh, talk to Kushla for a second. So I'll just pass over the headphones. Hand over the rain. Now on, Isabel. Okay. Hi, Isabel. Morning. Good morning, Kushla. How are, are you? you a coffee date soon, are you? Yes. <laughs> so you are our guest of honour for a few minutes um, on this uh, podcast. This is um, going to be a little bit different because I get to interview your daughter rather than her interview others today. Oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> so, but we'll start with you. So, you have been on one heck of a journey over the last few years. I sure have. Um, can we start with how you're feeling now? I'm feeling good. Really. You're looking great. I can go off for a coffee and I can go walking on my own and I can do almost anything. Mm-hmm. And when Isabel left my house after a lovely glass of wine the other day you um well you didn't have one but Lisa did um you drove didn't you you drove your home I did yeah so I can can drive now and that's good especially if Lisa's having a wine (laughs) (laughs) you get to be a mum I do I get revert back to being mum yeah and that must have given you a lot of independence um, that you have lost for quite a few years. Yes, it was. It was awesome. Awesome. Mm. You don't realise how isolated people are if they haven't got wheels right. <laughs> or a way of getting around. Yeah, it's mm. it isolating. Yeah. And can you tell us a bit about um, what you have been getting up to? I understand you've been doing some art classes with your with your sister. Mm-hmm. And- How's that going? Not as well as I would like, but it's it's we're doing all right, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd like the results to be a bit more spectacular, but but it might it must be nice to be creative. Oh, it is. It's good. Yeah. It does me good too. Now, do you have much of a memory of the hospital time? No. 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 What's your first memory that um, that you can kind of recall? Uh, Probably where we went to a meeting with all the big guns mm. and the hospital. At the hospital. And they wrote me off, really. Did they? Mm. They underestimated you, Isabel. They did. <laughs> and <laughs> I can remember saying I was feeling good. Uh-huh. You were feeling good. <laughs> yeah, I I was I was feeling fine before this. Now I'm feeling terrible. I have been demoted. I've been, you know, Mm. lost my independence. Just because they were talking like they were, you know. Mm. They shouldn't have done that. They took away all your confidence, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah. And so your background is similar to mine. You're an educator. 
yeah. um, have been for decades and decades. Mm-hmm. And you must understand how demotivating it is when somebody tells you what you can't do rather than what, what you can do. Yeah. yeah. That's it exactly. Right. Yeah. And so when did it change for you, for you after that meeting? What were some of the first things that happened that gave you a bit more confidence? Oh. Driving. <laughs> Getting Driving. the driver's license probably was a major breakthrough. Mm. Yeah. Um, Lisa took me down to the uh, down by the port and just been months. <laughs> Hopped down going car. round and round, didn't you? Yeah, and said, "Sure, your wheel now, you drive." And I was yeah. totally gobsmacked. <laughs> but you did it. I did it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I understand the doctor was utterly shocked. Oh, he was when you went in to get your medical for your license. Yeah, yeah. I was totally car. blown away. Yeah, so. It was good. It was nice to blow away a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) It had probably been a while since the doctor had responded that way. Yeah, I think so. He was a nice doctor, so it was good. So So if you could give some advice to someone who might be going through something pretty tough at the moment, what what would you say to them? Just hang in there um, and fight. Fight hard. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to... Grit your teeth and just carry on, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're one tough lady, aren't you? I must be. <laughs> <laughs> you are, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and can you describe some of the routines of things that you do at the moment that keep you in such good health? Uh, I go to the gym most days. I do weight training. I do, yeah, I cardio. do. I do weights. I do cardio. I do uh, walking on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Yoga. Um, and you still do hyperbaric as well. Yes, every day, moment. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. day, wonderful. Yeah. And so. still eat the smoothies that Lisa makes you in the mornings. <laughs> yes, they're pretty <laughs> terrible, <laughs> but they're good for you, right? But they are good for me. Broccoli is not exciting in a smoothie. (laughs) (laughs) But what we've noticed, Isabel, over even the last six months is how fit and agile and glowing that you um that you are. And and that's amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing that you said that. (laughs) Um, I don't always feel it right you know it's hard to hard to know where you're at so yeah yeah. I think sometimes if you see yourself reflected in others eyes um that's that's a really good indication of how far you've come yeah and I have come a long way really yeah yeah a really long way (laughs) <laughs> bloody long way right okay, go I'll, for your coffee I'll pass you back to Lisa and have a coffee date and enjoy I will thanks mummy okay uh, she's an absolute legend <laughs> thanks you have a nice coffee um, well now we're actually going to get into her backstory because uh, you know and I would have done it the other way around and had her at the end of the show but she needed to get to her coffee date so uh 
Yeah, we're rolling with the punches there. Um, but Kushla, let's, can you? I'm going to pass the reins over to you fully because you knew yeah. the story. You lived it with me. You helped me from the get go, pretty much. Um, mm. So over to you on the interviewee. We're flipping the tables, aren't we? Yeah, we sure are. (laughs) You get to be uh, interviewed for once, which is fabulous. So this has been um, a long journey um, for for you and your mum and your um, family. And and you're right. I was um, I had known you for a few years before this happened. And I think from my perspective, the thing that was so shocking about what originally with your aneurysm with your mum was just how quick things changed overnight. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think we see Isabel now and I mean, how old is? is She's 79. 79. So, you know, we're going back quite a few years and I used to often pop into the shop and see your mum, um, and just pop in and say hello. And she, she is now, but she also was then a very intelligent, um, clear-spoken um, woman that used to do acro aerobics all the time. She was very fit and healthy, very independent, working still pretty much full-time. Yeah, she was. And for somebody watching um, to see overnight that she went from from that, from a completely functioning, full-time working adult to just being, um, have n- nothing was there. You yeah. know, overnight the aneurysm right. took her from, from you know being completely functional to nothing mm. and I think the shock in that first visit and I saw her quite a few weeks after the aneurysm yeah. when you came back up to Plymouth yeah. after you'd been in Wellington and so the shock of seeing her lying there she had aged a decade overnight yeah yep. and it's sure. hard hard to see yeah um and I think the shock of that must have ripped through your family quite quite viciously you yeah. know to see that change overnight yeah it was yeah. just it was huge um yeah. yeah to have you you know like you know I'd grown up with mum being always the one supporting me the one that was you know there for me in all the phases of my crazy you know, upside down life that I've had you know with all my adventures supporting me with all the you know dramas and relationship breakups and divorces and business brewing for you most of your races oh yes you know she'd seen <laughs> been been there done that with me they can tell you that she had a hard life with me um and she had a good life you know she had exciting times with me um and, and she was really you know the rock of my world and then that turned upside down very much overnight and you know you you go from being this adult kid yeah. to a complete role reversal where mm-hmm. you're now, you know, um, having to do everything for your mum. You are advocating, you're fighting, you grow up really quickly, even though I was a you know, fully grown adult, obviously. I was still um, very much, when you've got a parent, you, you're still like a kid, you know, yeah. in a way to them. And uh, that, 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 is, you know, that was the biggest shocker for me, I think, was to be, you know, now you are the one that's caring for your mum and you are going to have to pull out all the stops to, to, to help her. And it's, you know, no longer about you being the selfish, egoistical athlete. And there's nothing wrong with that because yeah. you have to be if you want to mm. reach, you know, do the stuff that I did. Um, but that was a shocker. And, and then... Not you know like the the we had medical mishaps from the from the very get go. Um, yeah. You know when Mum had this aneurysm, it happened on early in the morning, 
and uh, an ambulance driver, you know, came into the house, you know, got, they got her into the ambulance up to the hospital. He knew already that she was having a neurological event and he told the doctor so much and, and he just ignored it. He ignored it. He said, no, she's having a migraine, I think, so we'll just leave her for a few hours and observe her and give her some painkillers. Well, you know, thanks very much for that. Because we sat there for six hours not knowing, Mm. um, and and she was dying, basically. She was dying, and and I knew she was in deep trouble, and I didn't know what to do because at that point in my life I had no idea of anything like this. I was never, you know, in a situation like this. I didn't know what was wrong with her, but I knew we were in trouble. Mm. And that was um, a very big wake-up call. I actually got our mutual friend, uh, Megan Stewart, uh, who's a paramedic here and the head of the ambulance here, and she came up to the hospital at that time and she sort of rattled some bloody cages very quickly Mm. and because she knew immediately what was happening, you know, stroke or aneurysm or something neurological. Um, And she Mm. went and told this doctor what for and... Mm. He then relented and we got a CT scan and that's when we saw the uh, blood right throughout the brain. So that was a very, uh, a big wake up call for me in a number of ways. Obviously the shock of that happening to your mum, the the fear of her dying. She's been very, very, very close to death at this point. Um, And then realizing that, you know, the medical system had not worked for us, you know, Mm. already. And I'm not, not, uh, you know, uh, we're all human and we all make mistakes and stuff, but that was a pretty big one. Yeah, yeah. It was a pretty big one. I think um, in those situations, um, you know, we want to trust um, the people that are, you know, the medical professionals that are around us. And and for the most part in, in ED, you know, they're an amazing, mm. um, you I'm, know, group of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think also there is a lot to be said for, you know, your mum, you, you knew what a migraine looked like. Yeah. She'd had before, um, and it's a matter of trusting yourself, isn't it? Enough to then think this isn't to what question. they're saying, and yeah. to question and to then fight as hard as you can for, um, you know, for a different outcome. Yeah. Um, because my understanding about aneurysm is there's a, a golden hour, or it's really important to get treatment. Yeah, exactly. Like a well, very short time. Surgery, you know, that's the golden sort of hour they talk about getting you into surgery within the hour. Um, right. and it took 18 hours. It yeah. took 18 hours because mm-hmm. not only did we have the medical mishap, then we also had the fact that we had to get to our, you know, main hospital down in Wellington for neurological. Yeah, mm-hmm. and living in a regional area, you you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's just the, the way it is. But um, we had to wait another 12 hours for the air ambulance to actually get to us. And when you're over 65, you sort of bump down the hierarchy, yeah. especially if you um, they don't think you're a good, you know, uh, got good, good odds. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we there were at, at that time, like we had a, a baby that needed – help and that was more urgent than mum and you know they they have to make those calls I understand that I don't like it I understand it (laughs) when it's your loved one you don't you don't really get it (laughs) no not at the time because you're also going through the shock of what's happening and um trying to process that um in in that moment can you describe um I suppose I want to focus a little bit on what was happening to you and your kind of body and because I think um, the thing about this relentless story is that it's not just about um, a mum surviving an aneurysm, but it's also about y- you and your family and how 
you've managed to pull yourself back together as well. So not just Isabel, but yourself. And I know that a lot of us, um, all of us will face a moment in our lives where we have to handle a bit of trauma. Yep. Um, And what was going on in your body and how did you cope so that you had the ability to to fight for your mum? Yeah. what were you doing in your mind? Yeah, the so in, in the initial phases, Pushla, you know, you are in shock, you're, you're, you're terrified. Um, mm-hmm. But very, very quickly, I, especially after the mishap, uh, once I realised what, you know, what had just happened and, and, the, and the balls up that that was and that it was likely going to cost your life, um, I just went into what I call mission mode, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, okay, Right, I am not going. I'm going to. I'm going to research the hell out of this. I'm going to learn everything I can. I'm going to be hyper vigilant. I'm going to watch everything they do. I'm going to question everything they do. Uh, I'm going to um, get my family organised because I had to get them down to Wellington. My father was, of course, you know, falling to pieces. This is the the, the love of his life. He's been, yeah. you know, married to her for fifty five years, and and he came up to me already in the ED and said, "We better start planning the funeral because they were, you know, saying to us." She's like unlikely to survive, mm. and um, I'm like, Dad, we're not. Look, we're not. We're not even right. considering that she is alive. She's still breathing, and we're going to fight with everything we have. And here's a list of jobs to do. I want you to go and ring so and so, organise this, get the boys down, my brothers down to Wellington, blah blah blah. Mm. When people are in a crisis, you need to take uh, control and and give them jobs to do so that they their you know their amygdala that the primitive part of the brain doesn't go into complete full blown panic and um which you know doesn't doesn't always work and I'll relay, relay a story a little bit later where I did go into full blown panic and um um so it's all very well and good to say this but at that point in time I was like dad I shook him I grabbed him I held him and I said no you've got this and this job to do we're going to do it and follow me dad follow me mm-hmm. and that was basically how it was then for the next you know few it years yeah. yeah yeah um and my brothers as well they were very much you know you know what do we, you know what do we do mm-hmm. and I had no idea at the time but i pretended like I did right. <laughs> make it till you make it you know yeah this is what we're doing this is how we're going to operate and over the next few weeks it was you know being down in Wellington together organizing the family to be down there uh you know all the logistics that go along with that and your jobs and your you know partners and all the rest of it mm-hmm. and then a 24-hour watch over mum and yeah. uh and being hyper vigilant and explaining to the boys everything that I was learning medically because I was like studying for Africa. I was just going, going hard out, trying yeah. to understand and, and get up to speed on something that I was completely not, you know, aware of prior to this. Learning yeah. what what an aneurysm does, what vasospasms are, what I'll be looking for, what the you know signs. And we were only in the neurological unit. We weren't in the ICU, which looking back was like, like what the hell. Yeah. Um, when she got down to Wellington, they did a, a straight into surgery. They started draining the blood off the brain, right. and um, she started to, you know, like started to have that pressure released. Um, but then we had to decide uh, over the next in the next couple of days. They're like it had stopped bleeding at that point, but it was about to go at any time again, and they could go at any moment. Yeah. Uh, how do we clamp it? What do we do? Whether we cut into her brain and put a physical clamp over over the area and it was a yeah. massive aneurysm like we're talking a 16 millimeter huge aneurysm um or we went up through the femoral artery and um 
we, we weighed up the, the pros and cons and then you make that call, you know. She's mm. got a 50% chance of dying this way. She's got a 30% chance of dying that way pretty much, you know. Mm. So we'll take the, the lesser they mm. said evil but she was going to have to have two operations in that way you know so that was going to be it was you know really touch and go really yeah. touch and go and mm. I remember them wheeling her off for that operation I think it was on day two um through the doors and you just don't know if that's the last time you're going to see them alive you know mm. um and and the, and the whole you know just trying to hold your shit together <laughs> yeah. so I know that um you're very good at compartmentalizing um, parts of the, you know, of something that when it happens. So, what what I remember um, you talking about when we were writing the book was how you were able to, you know, put the jobs that needed to be done in, in that box, the the research you were doing in this box, your family in that box, and probably, and I, and I know this because we had phone calls and um, and I was in touch with you at the time. Your emotions and your your shock and your yeah. trauma in this box. Yeah. Um, and it was a matter of kind of keeping, you know, all those juggling balls in the air at one time, but also, and importantly, um, allowing you to have that emotional spot as well. Yes. Um, and, and I know that you are very good at compartmentalizing and giving yourself time to do that, but not letting it overtake. Yes. Or not letting you um, drop all the other balls at the time when you were dealing with the emotional yep. um, side of it. And I think that that's really important because I know, um, so, so when Lisa and I first met, I was a bit of a Lisa Tamadi fangirl um, <laughs> before we became friends and I, and I got to know you really well. <laughs> I didn't realise, I know. Yeah. And I, and I mean, we just saw you as Wonder Woman, um, you know, this tough, tough, you know, athlete. And when I got to know you as, a, you know, as a human being, of yeah, course, there's the vulnerable side to you. Um, and but what I think is really important in the time, um, in that tr- immediate trauma time, is you gave yourself time to release a bit of that stress and that trauma um, by leaning on your, uh, your husband, yeah. Hazley, by yeah. making phone calls to me. Um, but also, like, I know that you went for some runs, um, went to yep. the gym, thrashed it out. Uh, you probably screamed at the ocean at one point, you know, yep. in Wellington. Um, and that's also important, isn't it? It's not, it's not just... Um, if you want to sustain, yeah. 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 Because yeah. this was, we knew this was going to be a long, long, long battle. Well, we hoped it was going to be a long battle. A short option was, mm-hmm. you know, not a good not one. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and, and this is something that I knew doing ultra marathons is mm-hmm. to, in particular in the Libyan desert crossing where... Um, uh, you have to read the book for the whole story, but yeah. I did an expedition across the Libyan desert with uh, three other guys, one of them being this abusive boyfriend that I was with at the time. And um, the, it was a very extreme situation that we were in. We only had two litres of water a day, etc. And I'm having this big domestics with the boyfriend, right? <laughs> in the middle of the Libyan desert. In the most Quite extreme a, In this most extreme environment. Planet, yeah. <laughs> Walking 45 kilometres a day with 35 kilo backpacks and only two litres of water a day in a military bad zone. Not not a good time, you know, like... Break up with time. a boyfriend. Break up with a boyfriend in five years. Um, and in that moment when he left me and disappeared over the sand dunes, that was a turning point for me. And I, and I, and I fell apart initially. And I was like, oh, God, I started crying. And then I realized I can't afford to lose any more tears here. <laughs> I've got to pull my shit together because I cannot let that energy 
dissipate that out there if I want to actually survive, you know, mm-hmm. and it was getting down to that sort of a level of, you know, are you going to survive this or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I learned in that moment really a, a very hard lesson in, in compartmentalizing things in your mm-hmm. brain. So like I'm going to fall apart, but not right now. I'm yep. going to put that off right now because I have to focus on this and getting yeah. through the desert and surviving. And, and that's been actually a really good lesson. And it's never a pleasant one to actually have to instigate where you have to actually mm-hmm. compartmentalize. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, Patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatamati.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatamati.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries, and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com, and thanks very much for joining us. But in this in this situation where you know you're dealing with uh, you, you're having to study like really hard out, and we have access now to the greatest minds on the on the world and PubMed and all these information about out there that you can study. So I was studying all the drugs that they had on, all the procedures they were doing, um, what is the the normal. Uh, you know, plan on what happens when you have an aneurysm, what are some of the dangers, what are the things that I should be looking out for, what are the signs in your body, you know, all of these types of things in the initial phase. And then later on, it went into rehabilitation research and study. Um, and so that was one aspect of it. And then we had a 24-hour clock system much to the um, disgust of the people at the hospital because they didn't want us there 24 hours. They don't like that. Yeah. And there was no way I was leaving my mother when she could die at any minute alone. No way. So I had massive battles with the hospital for them to be able to allow us in. Um, mm. and, and then, you know, having to fight for that. So you're fighting on all these fronts. You're already fighting, you know, with your, you know, your mum's in deep, deep trouble and then you're fighting against these systems mm. and they may have some good reasons for those systems, but there was no way I was leaving my mother alone when she could mm. die any second. A family member had to be with her at, at all times and I was very, very, you know, strict on that and ooh, we had some big blow-ups mm. at the hospital, you know. Um, we, 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 you know, got through really in the end. Yeah. Um, and we tried to be as unobtrusive as possible and we did what we were and we picked up things man that they missed because she was on the neurological ward they only come around a couple of hours and do obs you know right. do observations and um and but going back to the whole compartmentalizing things I, I know how to manage my body really well and how to mm. pace myself really well from doing 
ultra marathons and stuff and expeditions. And so I knew that we were going to be in there for the long haul. I knew sleep deprivation was going to be a problem. I knew that the family dynamics were going to be a problem, that there was going to be fighting because of the stress levels that we were under and we were all living in this one motel unit, you know, um, and that, you know, mum was, you know, in deep crap. We had my father to look after who was just, you know, and he was down with you in the in the show stage, yeah, wasn't? Yeah, he, he was, yeah. and he, he's a very much a, was a homebody. You know, he, yeah. he he didn't like to be out of his garden in his shed, no. <laughs> so he was very very stressed on that front. And of course, his mm. wife in such dire straits. Um, he was, uh, but he we, so we managed had to manage him because he started having heart problems, and yeah. so I had to eventually actually send my dad back home and actually lied to my dad that she's okay mm. now. We've got a dad; she's all good. Because yeah. I, I feared that we were going to lose him, yeah. um, and uh, so you know it was making those sorts of decisions and, and and just running the ship. So and and like you said, like I know the importance of for my for me especially exercise and and uh, fresh air for my mental well being. That if I was going to sustain it, I had to have at least half an hour to an hour every day out from this whole thing where I just go and do a workout and get mm. all the the, the fear, the cortisol, the adrenaline that's running through my body flat stick and try to manage it um, and making sure that she was looked after in that time, you know, and you, you feel guilty and all everything for leaving the hospital at all, but you had to do that after a few yeah. days. You know, the first couple of days I didn't, but after that. So it was it, it's setting all these things in place and we need to do that in our daily lives. We need to set up systems and processes and understand our own bodies and how our bodies work so that we can manage the stress levels we can manage um you know the movement that we need the sunshine the our needs for you know sleep and recovery and all of those uh, aspects uh, and of course in a situation like that sleep deprivation was was a massive it's huge um yes. and there's not much you can do about that you know no. you have to function at that level for as long as you you have to and I think a lot of people that are in stressful situations, um, whether or not it be something like what happened with your mum or or even in work or and just in daily life, you know, big stressful moments, um, a lot of people um, put the self-care to the side mm. um, and they just think, well, I'm not, you know, that, that, you know, I don't have time for that or I shouldn't have time for that. Yes. Um, the and, it, and the guilt that, that kicks in. And yet, it, it probably is one of the most um, important things to prioritise in terms of your day and, and compartmentalising your day through to handle stressful situations because it allows you to have the focus and the energy yep. that you need yep. um, to get back into the, you know, into the stressful into situation. Into the fight, yeah. Into fight. Into fight, the fight yeah. you're in. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to be able to have that energy put back in and you know and it might only be 10 minutes out in the bloody you know like when you know mm-hmm. we had another situation which we'll probably get on to later with, with with my dad you know in his situation in the hospital for 16 days fighting for his life um you know it, it, it was sometimes 10 minutes in the waiting room doing press-ups that was right. all I could get, get you know before I went back into the battle zone if you like mm-hmm. um just and, know, yeah just to just to just to manage the cortisol Reach, you know, dis, I call it discharge and recharge, and then reset, come back into the into the moment. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a, a, sort of a heck of a lot of lessons to be learned, and then leading, yeah, in 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 a crisis situation. So you know, like my brothers are amazing. 
they were very supportive and they were like, you know, followed everything that I asked them to do basically mm. because, you know, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the studier of the family. I'm the one that is into research and science and study. And so they, 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 they trusted me to do all that thing and they were like, well, you, you tell us what to do, we'll do it. Yeah. And that's really great because you've got, you know, your roles, you know that this is in, in having somebody um, – yeah, you know, yeah, lead the charge, so to speak. You know, and even though you don't know what you're doing, where you're going, and this certainly in the rehabilitation, um, you know, over the next years, because this process took years, mm-hmm. um, having that 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 person that's, you know, got that responsibility, you know, got that. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. You, you know, I, I just need you guys to do this, that, and the other thing. And my whole entire family were willing to do that. Mm. They were, you know, my dad was just, you know, jumping ahead in time. You know, my dad was just ama- amazing how he stepped up mm. to the mark, you know, yeah. when he'd had a, a wife that had done everything for him pretty yeah. much. And then suddenly he was, um, I mean, back when she came back to New Plymouth, he was cooking and he was, he was doing all the things. He was doing he, all the things. Yeah. And it, it was a shocker for him, but he, he, <laughs> he stepped up to the mark to the best of his ability. And he was the yeah. most wonderful, caring husband. He didn't give a, 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 you know, like he didn't care that she, when she came back home for the first time and, you know, came, we, we actually got her out of the hospital after three months and oh, mm. I'm jumping ahead in time a bit, but he didn't care that she had no function basically, that no. she was in a vegetative state. Hardly, she was alive and we were fighting. Yeah. And that was all he needed to know. He yeah. had his wife at home. She was alive. She mm. stabilized. We were fighting together and we were on a mission and every day he had his jobs to do and his things to do. Mm. And he was just relentless in his, his love, love yeah. for her, mm. you know, stepping up. So going going back to the the moment where, um, so she's in Wellington, um, and you need to read the book to find out <laughs> what went on in Wellington. Um, the moment that she was transferred back to New Plymouth was a was a bittersweet moment, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, um, it. Mm. yeah it, I mean, you were able to come home um, and. And, and be with Hazley and um and 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 be back at, at home with the family and friends around that were helping. But you knew that the care that you would receive back in New Plymouth wasn't at the level that it would be in Wellington, basically just because Wellington is way more resourced than yep. New Plymouth is, and fair enough. New yep. Plymouth is a very small region. Um yeah, um Taranaki here, you know, we're we're at a little provincial um spot in New Zealand. So uh, we we knew that we wouldn't get the care that you got in the bigger city. Um, so talk us through mm-hmm. how it was like to come home and it was the things terrifying. that you had. To I was happy, you know, for all those reasons, but at the same time, and I was happy that she'd apparently stabilised. But like, she was in ICU um, for the, the good part of the, well, say, two of the three weeks that she was in Wellington when she was in and out of coma. And once she'd gotten out of the coma, then they. Well, had to get the stent out of her head and she kept dropping. What happens when they take the stent out is that the pressure can start rising in the brain again. And three times as they tried to take the stent out, the pressure went up. And on the third time they said, well, if it doesn't work this time, I'm going to have to operate and put in a permanent one. And and, mm-hmm. and the third time it, it worked, but it only like it worked for the next 24 hours. And then they were like, right, she's, she's not, pressure's not going up. 
And she's she's mm. keeping consciousness. She's not falling back into the coma. She's good to go. And I had researched. I knew that that was not the case, that mm. she could have that pressure could go up over the next 70 days at any point. Mm. And if that pressure went up, it would happen very quickly and she wouldn't, she could die. So mm. I knew that even though they, they weren't telling me that, that, that she could still die in the next 70, hour, uh, 70 days. Mm-hmm. And that if, if that happened in Wellington and the pressure started to go up, they, were, they might be able to recognise it, they might be able to go in and do something. They wouldn't be able to in New Plymouth. And mm-hmm. so I was super hypervigilant on, on trying to understand how I could notice if something in her consciousness was going down, right? Mm-hmm. And what I could do was to understand some of the, the symptomatic uh, things that she would might exhibit if that pressure is starting to go up because she wouldn't be able to communicate it to me. You wouldn't be able to see it. Mm. You would just slowly lose more and more of her brain until it was, you know, gone basically. Um, so that was a huge fear, bringing her home. And, of course, putting her in an airplane with a pressure change. Right? Yeah, like I didn't know what the heck that would do. In fact, it was nothing, but that yeah. wasn't a problem really. Um, but, uh, you know, at, at this time you just like, you don't know. Yeah, for the, so for the next 70 days, I'm like hypervigilant and I, you know, uh, if, I, if I notice something down, I'll, you know, be like, I think she's, you know, doing this and doing that. And then they took her off the oxygen at the same time and that was a big problem. Like in, they didn't see it as a problem. She was, no, her oxygen stats are all right. But what they were forgetting was that she was sleeping 18, 20 hours a day. So when she was asleep, she wasn't breathing. No, properly, and I, um, I believe she had sleep apnea. So I said to them, "I want a sleep apnea assessment," and they said, "No, she doesn't need that. Why should she need that? You know, her oxygen stats are okay. Uh, you know, when she's awake, and, you know. So why would she? You know?" And I knew about sleep apnea, so I got a friend of ours who's actually a sleep apnea consultant, Jess Morris, and um, I said, "Come into the hospital illegally. Would you do that?" He said, "Yeah, I'll do that." Um, you know, or outside of the rules, I should say, yeah. not illegally, but you know. Um, so we sneaked into the hospital at night time, put on these machines onto her, did an assessment overnight because it had to be an overnight thing, and we got the results. And it came back severe sleep apnea. Now, this is absolutely key. Like her oxygen levels were down at 70% SpO2 stats. She was chain stoke breathing, which is not a good thing. No. Probably going to be on your way out in the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, and her, yeah, her, her oxygen was so low that she was knocking off any brain cells that okay. she had. The mm. infections that were in her body were just going apeshit. So bacteria was exploding and all, you know, um, and that was actually the, one of the signs that I'd picked up because I'd, ha- I'd done a lot of racing at altitude and I was seeing a lot of the signs in her that mm. I'd had at altitude when I had mm. altitude sickness and, and things mm. like that. Um, and so that was a first win because then I had to convince the bloody staff that we needed to have the CPAP machine on her and they weren't trained in CPAP machines so they didn't want to do that and I'm like well she needs it she's got this and mm. you know him being a, a sleep physiologist was able to convince them that okay this is a good yeah. thing for her now and he said he'd been banging his head against the brick wall for, for decades trying to get for stroke patients an assessment done as part of the process because very often this happens 
that that part of the brain is damaged in the stroke or the aneurysm mm-hmm. um, and even in things like concussions that you, you can have a change in your breathing situation and that part of the brain that monitors that is not working properly. So it should be a standard part of the thing and that's what mm-hmm. I believe and yeah. that's what he believes. Um, so anyway, we got the CPAP machine and then she started to have little bits of improvement but we were already two months, three months you know, two and a half months or something into her time in the hospital and we're running out of time. They, she's stable. She's, she's um, nothing we can do with her, basically. Mm-hmm. She's pretty buggered. We've given paid lip service to some physio yeah. and some speech therapy and stuff and mm-hmm. now it's time to get you out of the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think at, at that point, um, I think they, uh, you know, if you, if you saw Isabel at that moment in the hospital, you would see an old woman um, who was, you know, probably on her way out. Mm-hmm. Um, you you didn't see, um, you know, you didn't see the vibrant person that we saw before the aneurysm that was so independent and so um, highly functioning. And so, it, for the hospital, I think they just saw an older woman another, and a family another. that was another older woman and a family that wasn't willing um, to accept the fact that they had yep. an aging mother. Um, so there's there's that little you know that little bit of um of not understanding who she was before and 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 how abrupt this change was um and we knew that if we could just get her back um even if it was a little bit back um that then you could take her home and and start working start working um and re- on rehab um can you talk about how quickly they just wanted to move her into a home oh yeah yeah so this is what um happens very often when you're over 65 is the answer is get them out of our budget into someone else's budget mm-hmm. and um that means putting them into a, a you know hospital level care facility and if you've got anything that's the that's the normal route that you go and they they will try and convince you of that route at least in our situation I can't speak for the everybody obviously um and but we came up against a brick wall of 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 this especially the social worker who shall remain nameless mm-hmm. um who who just was totally against us being able to have the caregiver that I wanted the caregiver for in the morning for an hour and one in the evening for an hour, which is part of they do provide this service and so on, but it costs more money and you stay in their budget. Yes. And uh, that's the key point. Um, so we were fighting over these resources. And what I want people to understand is you have to fight for the resources that you want for your loved one. Mm. And we have limited resources. That's a fact of life. And Mm -hmm. uh, so if you want to get some of those resources and you think your loved one is worth worth that because Mm -hmm. they've spent their entire lives paying taxes, being good citizens and have a right to have some of this, Mm -hmm. um, then you better be prepared for a fight because that's what you're in for. And we we did have a massive fight. And it was interesting that because as a family, you were willing to bring her home and you were willing to do a lot of the care yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you you didn't want to um, be taking up a resource in a care facility. Um, you were prepared to do that yourselves um, as a family yep. at home. So in a sense, um, there's a lot of money to be saved. Um, <laughs> by, <now>. you know, <laughs> um, because I know that um, how much you have um, given up and how much it cost um, the family to care for her at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is what you wanted um, and your family wanted was to just to have her home. And I remember um, in the book, you spoke about 
Wanting is about to have familiar sights, smells, sounds around her to aid her in her rehab. Um, And that, that in having those, you felt that she was going to make more connections, neurological connections, Mm -hmm. quicker because she was in her own home with her own people around her, with her own um, sights and sounds and smells around her. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how positive you felt that was? Yep, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. I had a a friend's mum who actually worked in stroke rehabilitation and she really encouraged me to do that and said mm. how important this was and it just made total sense to me. Mm. And the, the, I, I knew that when you were in the care of any facility, no matter how good they are, they can never provide the love and the attention that you can, mm. you know, because they've got other people and you're just another patient and, and yeah. you know they provide a, a, a magnificent service and so on when when this is absolutely necessary but in this case we had the willingness and the ability to 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 do this they 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 said to me the the social worker said to me there is no way in hell you are going to cope with her she's 24 7 round the clock care two people at all times there is no way you're going to cope with her and I and and I actually came in and I threw my books on his table one day across the table at him and I said read these this is who I am and my family are and we are not giving up without a fight we may go down fighting but we're going to go down fighting we're not going to go down oh and take the easy route out that is not in our nature and I you know it's a fundamental difference between a a family that is a fighting family and a family that isn't and Mm. it's very much influenced by the the people in in power in these situations the medical professionals the the people that are associated with all, all of that and you have no confidence, you know, to stand up against all these professionals usually. They're the ones that have been to medical school. They're the ones that have been to whatever, social work, you know, mm. whatever the case may be. And you have a tendency to think, well, they know better than me. Mm. The one thing they don't know is you. And they don't know how strong you are. They don't know the resources that you have. They don't know your mentality. And they don't know, really, they're all guessing as to what will actually happen based on their experiences. But that becomes partly a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. So when they say to you, look, there's no hope, mm. no, that's their opinion that there's no hope. Yeah. And that I had time and time again people telling me there is no hope, there is no hope. She's 74, her brain damage is so massive, it cannot be that she would ever. And I was like, we'll see. Mm. I am only ever going to listen to the ones that tell me I can do, not the ones that I tell me I can't do. And they may be right. I'm not saying they're not right, but I'm going to throw the book at this. You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And if it's all about attitude and effort and grinding it out, then I'll take that one any day. You know, I'll take that option. I'm a fighter. I'm a worker. And my family is too. And we're not going to go down without a fight. Mm -hmm. And, and, I see lots of I saw lots of other families going through the same process because this thing's happening in every day in every hospital around the world, right? Uh, and and it is very much well statistically this person's not a good bet. Yeah, yeah. Or we'll just do the standard of you know we'll do yeah. the standard of care. We'll be the do the humane thing. We'll do all this the the tick all the boxes. We'll do it all right, but. 
you know, the anomaly cases, the cases like mums, like why has why is nobody coming to say to me, and why do I, I mean, I'm out there telling everybody this story mm. and that's why I've written the book is to empower other people in these types of situations, even mm. different ones, but why is nobody asking me, well, what did you do? What did you do to get her to where yeah. she is? They believe, you know, when they and when they see mum now, you guys have, you know, seen mum here today talking and walking and going off for coffee and driving up to see her friends. And you would have no idea that she ever had anything. No, she's no. completely normal again. And, and, you know, but I was told that was an impossibility. Mm. And, and how many people are told you have a terminal illness? You are going to die of this thing. When you plant this sort of stuff, they're mm. making like educated guesses based mm. on the statistics of the past, whatever, and their experiences. And I get that. Mm. And we can't give people false hope, but we also can't take away all hope. No, that's a really powerful um, message, I think. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who um, uh, is um, battling with cancer at the moment. And she has the most amazing mindset. Her her mindset. So she's, um, you know, she was told she had three months to live. That was, wow. I think, six months ago. Mm-hmm. And her mindset, and she's just been through um, some chemo, and the the tumors have shrunk. Her mindset basically is that cancer is not welcome back. It's yep. just not. I'm going off to live my life, um, <laughs> and if I die of it, well, okay, I die of it. But in the meantime, I'm living my life, and I'm. It's not welcome back. Yeah. Um, and she is um, charging in life, and, and sure, she has her rough days. Yeah, um, it's. It, it, I really love how you said. You know, it, it's there's a responsibility for them not to give false hope, but yeah. at the same time, um, you know, not to take away. Um, similar situation with my father. He has uh, myeloma, so um, cancer of the blood, um, and I think at the time the doctors, uh, you know, said, "Oh." you know, after this treatment you have, you have between five and 15. And he immediately said, I'll take the 15, thanks. Because <laughs> that puts him at that at, at the point that that would have taken him to 85. And he was quite happy with that, um, you know, because at the time he was 69. Yep, so, yep. Uh, and I love that, yep, yep, you know, yep. and we're six years down now. Um, yep. and, so and I think mindset is huge. Oh, yeah. Um, and the way that you approach things, because sure we might um you know I, I might die by being run over by a bus today um mm. but if 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 you don't live life um thinking that um things are going to get better that that you have the power um to do to have control over your health and your well-being yeah the way that you deal with these traumas um if you don't have that mindset um you're definitely then, not going then you're definitely not you're going to roll up in a corner yeah. Uh, as my friend with cancer said when she went to hospital, she's like, Oh, I'm surrounded by all these sick people. <laughs> Which I love because she didn't see herself in in, in that. And that's know, one of the reasons I take mum to the gym every day. Exactly. I don't take her people. I didn't take her, you know, we, we did go to the physio program at the hospital. Don't get me started on that. Um, no. Um, but I, it was dreadful and it was shocking. Uh, the stories in the book, if you want to read that one, that is a real bad one. Um, but the, I like her to be surrounded by athletes going for it because yeah. that rubs off on her. She's not a patient. She's mm-hmm. athlete. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. training for her Olympics. And that is the attitude we take every single day. 
Mm-hmm. And I make no concessions that she is not 79 years old and, oh, isn't it time for her to relax? No, it isn't time for her to relax. It's time for her to work harder. Yeah. It's time yeah. to go harder. And the older you get, the more effort you have to put into this if you want to stay alive. Yeah. That is the key. When you stop wanting to be alive, yeah. then, yeah, sit on the couch and do yeah. nothing because that's yeah. what will lead to. If yeah. you still want to lie, be alive and enjoy life, then you have to fight for it. And this yeah. goes whether you're bloody 10 years old or 95 yeah. years old or 105 years old. Yeah. If you give in to the easy way, if you, you know, go, I don't feel like training today. Like I don't feel like training most days. <laughs> But most days I train, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. It, it keeps me healthy, fit, and I'm being preventative, and that's what I'm all about now is being in the prevention space, and yeah. then helping people who are in dire need um, navigate the waters of of mm-hmm. this, you know, mm-hmm. and connecting people to the right doctors and the right studies and the right information and the right books and, and all of that sort of jazz. Um, when I was in the depths of um, my training um, for a marathon, I remember um, that exact um, conversation with a friend and she said, oh, I can't, you know, at the end of the day I'd go off and run 10K. And and she's like, but you've just w- worked a full day. And I'm like, yeah, uh, and I'm tired, but I'm going to go do it because you never regret it when you finish it. Yes. At the end of that 10K, you've never thought, I really shouldn't have gone for that run. <laughs> you know, you don't. You come back thinking that was awesome. And you yeah, feel sure better. I'm- Generally, you yep. sure you're tired, or you know, but you were tired before you went out for the run. So, yeah. um, you you actually end up more energized. Yeah, um, you end up more energized. Your cortisol, yeah, you might be, your sleep. muscles might be tired, but yeah. you're energized and you're getting and stronger. Think, yeah, you're I think that's forward. a really good message. Is that um, yeah, you don't regret it once you get out. It's always just those first um first few five minutes or. I always yeah. used to say the first 4K of any run was always yeah, a bit first tough, wasn't it? 20 minutes is like, shit. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and it never gets any better. And it's, it's still, still the same for me. And if I warm up exactly. properly, then it's less shit, you know. Yes, yes, and yes. if I'm in a hurry and I run out the door and I don't, then it's going to be more shit. Yeah. Uh, warm-ups are really key. The more experience you have um, with, with training or with um, whatever it is that you're doing for self-care, you know, understanding that that the first um, the first little bit is always tough, yep. um, and the more that you experience that, the more you know it. To, you know to expect it, and then you know that you're going to get the buzz at the end. Yeah, and start looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. I had that conversation with my brother yesterday because I've been telling him he's like he's very fit. He does a lot. He's amazing. Built. He's he does weight training. He's a surfer and he surfs sometimes six hours a day. But he doesn't do cardio. And yeah. um, you know, I, I monitor his bloods and his health and his you know everything. And I, you've got to do some cardio. You know, mm. we've got some issues here. We need some cardio, please. And he's like, I hate cardio. I don't want to do cardio. And then he will do five minutes and he's like, I don't want it. And he and I said to him. It's about pushing through that barrier. It's the same as if you tell me, why aren't you going surfing anymore? And I'm like, oh, because it's so hard and I don't want to get hit by the waves and get smashed around. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's awesome. You know, and I said, it's mm-hmm. awesome. We've gotten through that barrier. 
yeah, pushed yeah. enough and long enough to get through that, and I'm having to go through that. And it's mm-hmm. always that initial, you know, adaptation phase, that time when you're not fit and you're not good at the, the surfing or the, the the running or the whatever. When it's you know shit, <laughs> let's be honest. But if you hang in there long enough, if you stay with the tension long enough, mm-hmm. then you'll start to make the adaptations, and then you'll start to actually like it, and then you'll start yeah. to enjoy it, and then it will become mm-hmm. like, wow, I, I'm actually into this. And you still have your days where you don't want to do it, yeah. and those are the days. When you have to just take action, a small yeah. piece of action, and I'll put my running shoes on, or I'll go to the letterbox and I'll see, or I'll just do yeah. 20 squats and that, you know, and 10 press ups, yeah. and then I'll just stop at that. And then you do those, and then you're like, oh, now I've got my oh, motivation. I'm out here. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'll, keep going. Going. I'll do a couple more minutes, and then yeah. next minute you've, you know, run for an hour or something. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it, that's why um, Relentless is such a good title for the book um, because. Um, it's not. It's not just about your mum's story. Um, it's it's about the process of of taking those small actions and how those small actions all build up and all add together um, to make a big um, impact, Absolutely. a big solution. Yeah. And so, uh, what I what I probably again going back to the the fangirl in me. Um, you know, this isn't a story about Lisa Wonder Woman who can do everything because she can't. Um, she, <laughs> she, has, she has vulnerabilities and she has rough days and she has days where friends need to pick her up. Um, Definitely. But what you've done um, with your mum and what you can learn by by reading the book is how those small actions actually build up um, and, and accumulate. Yep. Um, and that is relentless. That's yep. what it means to be relentless. It doesn't mean that we should all run a marathon or an ultra marathon, no. or that that's that's the the journey that um, most people should take. That's not what we uh, are saying here. But it's about how if you have some self care and take those small steps, whatever that may look like for you at the time of your life, um, that you are living a life that is relentless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love and it. And it, it, it it'd be way more powerful, more fulfilling, um, and you'll you'll last longer. <laughs> you'll last longer. Who wouldn't want that? And you'll last longer healthily, you know, rather yeah. than you know, it's all about for me, it's about health span as well. You yeah. know, you don't want to be living in a horrific state of affairs and, you know, barely alive but still kicking that's not living um you know so we want to we want to push that degenerate degeneration out for as long as possible and the exciting thing i'm what i'm excited about because i study this type of stuff obsessively is um the stuff that's coming down the pipeline with regards to longevity and anti-aging i'm like mom if i can keep you alive for another 10 years then the the technology is going to keep you alive for a lot longer you know, yeah. the, the advances in medicine, the advances mm-hmm. in, in science are going to be, you know, mean that you could possibly live for a hell of a lot longer. And if, if I can hold my, you know, 52-year-old body together now, by the time I get to my 60s, there are going to be things that are probably going to mean that we're going to live to, you know, yeah. they're talking 150 and beyond, mm-hmm. you know, whether yeah. I'll see that or not, but my children might or, you know, yeah. our, our mm-hmm. you know, our little ones in this next generation might, um, mm. and we may. Who knows? Yeah. Because things are changing so rapidly, mm. and that's why I'm cutting edge on the latest and greatest stuff. I love shiny objects, um, <laughs> and I love doing the research and, and staying across all that and, mm. and maintaining 
so that I can actually get to hopefully enjoy the benefits of that and not have something major happen out of the blue because most of these things that come at us, the big Mm. four, the cancer, the cardiovascular diseases and strokes and the diabetes and the Alzheimer's, if you take Mm -hmm. just those, um, they are predictable a long way out. If I had known more about things, then mum's aneurysm was bloody written on the cards, you know. Yeah, her dad died at fifty-two. Now I've done our genetics, and we have, and I have it too—a very poor uh, lining of our blood vessels. Our glycocalyx is very, very poor quality, which means we're more prone to strokes and aneurysms and stuff. So now I know that. Okay, so now I can do something preventative about it. Um, I didn't know that when Mum went down, and she was always struggling with her weight and always, you know, always having problems with that. Now we've cracked that code. She's Mm. tiny now. She's very slim. And yeah. she lost 35 kilos and we've cracked the code on it. But, hey, it's taken me bloody years to work that out with, for her now. Mm. But we have that science now. We have that epigenetics and all the genetic mm. testing. We have all that available to us, you know. Mm. And, it, yes, it all costs and people go, oh, you know, I couldn't afford this. <laughs> and I, I like, can afford not to. Yes, can you afford not to? And, yes, I mean, this, this stuff costs money. All this stuff costs money. The to keep mum going cost me over a couple of grand a month. Mm. Um, but I would, you know, like instead of having a fancy car, yeah, I've got a fancy mum. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you know, like it says, you know, like if you don't have anything, well, then you're, yeah. you can do the stuff that makes you can give for free, which mm. is exercise, which is mm. not eating bad shit and, you know, mm. uh, eating right and things but if you have got a little bit of resources mm. where are you putting it yeah are you doing it you know for me superfluous things like you know I don't go and have facials and massages well massages would be actually healthy but um <laughs> so I probably shouldn't lump that in with it but you know we don't buy a lot of shoes no I don't I, I don't have fancy clothes no. I, I wear the same thing all the time <laughs> I, I you know but I spend it on stuff that might keep yeah. us alive longer mm. if that makes um, sense when I was going through some rough health health over a year ago, um, I talked with Lisa and and we booked in you know a whole raft of tests and I think it was um, probably just over a thousand dollars you know to get a really good picture of where things are and, and sure that's a lot of money but the fact was my health was bad enough that I wasn't coping. Yeah, um, I wasn't it's coping more expensive. for work. So you know for me to be able to earn an income, for me to be able to um, be a functioning adult, you know that that, that can um, walk happily well. through the through the world. Um, I had to invest in that, and I think that sometimes we can feel guilty of investing in those kind of things, um, especially if you're a mum or if you you know have other commitments. But the fact is that that if you need to be around um, for your kids, or in my case for my for my class, I'm a teacher, yep. so if I need to be there 100. percent yeah. Um, then I need to be at 100%. And so that, that, that yeah, so it's chicken and investment. You, know, in yeah. you lose your job if you're not and healthy. Health, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, if you lose your job, then you're not going to be able to stay healthy. You no. know, so it's a chicken and egg scenario. And I'd rather invest in those things and prioritize those things, you know. I you had get a, onto a, them first before they become something major. Later. Yeah, yeah, and and the, you know, and you can't see everything coming. I've been, I mean, you know, the journey that I've been on with my dad, and uh, he, he unfortunately passed away in July last year after one hell of a battle. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see that one coming. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he was, you know, I had, a, but he, but dad did one thing that I could never stop him doing and that was smoking. And that's what mm-hmm. basically got him in the end. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, that's addiction. And, you know, I, I was, yeah. I'm just sad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, so you can't, you know, and I spend a lot of time studying. I study mm-hmm. hours every day so mm-hmm. that I'm not caught short. And, you know, since losing dad, even more so, mm-hmm. um, but I, you know, uh, I, I realise I can't know everything, and that no. there will be curveballs that come at me anyway. But I can be as prepared as I can be, and and, and then I can I can react in the situation the best I can, you know. And I can ha- I can at least know where to go to get help. I know where to go if I have something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if I if I have something tomorrow, I'll probably find out who the heck to talk to very yeah, quickly. Exactly, you know. Yeah to yeah. deal with it and and that's that's a good resource to have you know mm-hmm. so in relentless um in our book at the back is a bunch of resources um we've listed them out um so and lisa said something really funny to me the other day she got some feedback from a, a bloke that read the book um, <laughs> and he said um, i normally would have never read a, a book with uh, two chicks on the cover <laughs> It was hilarious, um, you know. But and then he and he said, but it was it was a rocking good book. He didn't he? He said it was a really good book. Yeah, read it through and and also it provided um, it has so much information in here. And yep. I thought that was interesting because um, we the process, of course, of of getting the book published and, oh my God. and the cover and everything was quite a major, wasn't it? And, oh, and we and, obviously uh, made a mistake. There <laughs> <laughs> were mistakes made and, and, and yeah, hopefully sure. something's fixed. But I thought it was worth kind of pointing out that it's it's not just the story about your mum, but in no. there is, is a bunch of lessons and resources that you can apply to um, any situation that involves either health or stress yeah. Um, you know, big the mindset, big, big mind, yeah, big moments that that require that positive mindset, um, and real, real strategies in there about um, what it takes to survive um, trauma and and stressful situations that can apply to health or work or, or relationships or, or, or all sorts. So I, I just thought, um, you know, I kind of do that little promotional push when we um, when we went to. Uh, do our book launches um, we had all booked them up hadn't we we were going yeah, right through the country. and then uh then COVID. the day after <laughs> the day after fantastic the day after we managed to tweak one in which was yep. our hometown um, which was awesome our hometown book launch which was fantastic um but unfortunately we couldn't do the big push so um, as your co-author, because I know Lisa um, touts this book any chance she can, but as as the co-author of it, um, I'd like to you know recommend that everyone does get a copy, yeah. um, has has a read of it, and and really um, gains from you know really can get some benefit from reading the resources and the steps and the strategies that are in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Kush. Because uh, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not a book just for for ladies. It's uh, just okay. not a book just for runners. It's not a book okay. for just people with brain injuries. It's for all of the above. Oh, plus, yeah, it, it is for pe- people who are taking on massive challenges and who are up mm. against it. It's for people mm. who want to understand what it takes to succeed, or mm. want to understand what it takes to take on massive challenges and have a chance at actually coming out the other end. 
Mm. Um, and and it is a coaching book, basically. It is a it is, mm. a, is it's written in a in a, in a story form, but there is a yeah. lot of learnings in there, and there's also a lot about uh, a lot of the therapies and the, the the doctors and the podcasts and the books and the resources that I used mm. in order to rehabilitate my mum. And mm. this is the whole point of the podcast now that we've been doing, pushing the limits for five and a half years. Mm. Um, I actually started it before mum had her had had her, had her aneurysm, but it it became one of the greatest resources for me personally mm. because I got to get the world's greatest scientists and doctors and the yeah. latest research and to share that with everybody. Uh, mm. And whether it was around health and fitness and running or mindset or high performance or longevity or anti-aging or any of those things, it was mm. all relevant uh, for me. And it was a, you know, partly a selfish endeavor because it, it did help me in that whole process. Um, and we're very passionate about the show and we'd love anybody who uh, isn't already subscribed to Pushing the Limits as a podcast um, mm. to make sure that you head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe to the show because we really get world-leading experts up on there every single week. It's pretty yeah. pretty fantastic and a great resource. Yeah. Oh, Krishna, you've been marvellous today, mate, <laughs> as always. <laughs> and uh, we're working on another book. Yeah, yes. <laughs> we're, going to, yeah. we're going to start working. We haven't started yet. We've, we've discussed uh, next steps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's a very brave woman because I tell you, she's to hell back with me on this book. <laughs> it's, look, the the journey has been an absolute privilege um, to be a part of this, um, the book, and also to be a part of your life. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've never written a book before, so I'd just like to put that out there, um, that sometimes you have to do brave and scary things um, just to see what you're capable of. And, and what we really hope with this is that um, people get a lot out of it. It's a it's a great read. There's some comedy in there um, yes. as, as well. Good moments <laughs> um, as well as you know the hard stuff and 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 I think that's what I've learned as being part of this journey is you know life's about putting yourself out there. Yep. Um, do do the things that are scary, but that you've always potentially had in the back of your mind you wanted to do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you with your master's in English, that was a good place to start for a start, you know. <laughs> it's been a few years since I'd written, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was fabulous. And it's now made the emphasis for you to write your own novel, which is, is. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. So that's what happens when you step outside your comfort zone. I'm very much um, good at pushing Kushler outside your comfort zone. <laughs> yes. Lots of stories about runs there as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of adventures along the way. Yeah. I haven't killed you yet, so it's... Not yet, no. It's all been good. (laughs) Krishna, thank you so much for your time today and being the interviewer and being co-author on this marvellous book. And we Mm -hmm. hope it's going to empower and, and, and help lots and lots of people along the way. Definitely. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.